Well, welcome to Grace Bible Church here at our Southwood campus. We are ecstatic that you guys have joined us here at Southwood. If there's any of you guys that are in the far back that are looking for seats that aren't leaders, uh, we had some seats way up here in the front, and so uh, feel free to mosey on up if you'd like. Um, but I'm glad you guys are with us. If you guys don't know me, uh, my name is Trey Corey. I'm our Southwood College guy here, and uh, we're just ecstatic if you're visiting for the first time. We're ecstatic that you guys are back in town, and also ecstatic that you guys are here, and ecstatic for this echo. All right, so... Um, I don't know about you guys, I don't know if you guys got to watch the game last night, but we absolutely stomped SFA, amen? It was a good game. I unfortunately wasn't able to see it, but I followed along on GameCast quite on ESPN, quite uh, specifically, quite moment by moment, and it was awesome. You know, I thought to myself, man, not only getting to see Gerard and see Mike dominate again, but getting to see a defense that was stout, it got me really excited and really optimistic about what this year is going to hold for the a football team. And all that optimism came crashing down about the time I went to bed last night because ants had absolutely infested our bedroom, all right? I mean, there were ants everywhere, all through our bedroom, all along the floor. And I watched and I studied and I could not figure out where they were coming from, nor could I figure out where they were going. Uh, and it, it kind of brought back a rush of fear and a rush of frustration because I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Mother Nature. There's no love and there's all hate, all right? I, I don't know about you guys, but I just hate Mother Nature. Mother Nature and I have, for whatever reason, just never gotten along too well. It kind of all started back, uh, not just last night with the ants, but it really kind of started back for me uh, in fourth grade. I went on one of my first Boy Scout experiences, tying knots, rowing canoes, living out in Mother Nature. And as I pulled back the sheets that first night, there were four scorpions in my sheets, all right? And so at a ripe age, in fourth grade, I was done with Boy Scouts and I was done with Mother Nature, all right? And it kind of would continue on from there. Uh, for me, I, I've kind of always had issues with a lot of insects, a lot of bugs, a lot of snakes. And uh, honestly, here's another example. Uh, Marcy and I, a few years ago, were on a beach in Thailand on a romantic walk at night, staring at the stars and the moon and just enjoying ourselves and having some great conversation. And all of a sudden, Marcy steps into a hole. And out of that hole comes a den of crabs, all right? Now, I may or may not have immediately assessed the situation before I actually came to her rescue, all right? I might have made sure I was okay before I first came to her rescue. And so not only does nature ruin campouts for me and outside living, it has also ruined many a romantic moment. Um, in fact, uh, our second year anniversary, wedding anniversary, we went to Napa Valley, checked into a bed and breakfast, and I may or may not have seen a gigantic spider on the bathroom wall and went running, all right? Uh, nature for me has always killed romance. Uh, nature has created all kinds of issues for me. It's made me, at times, it's always applied a pressure and it's made me want to quit on whatever I was doing. Even just this past summer, uh, Marcy and I and our girl Caroline and two of our uh, most family, our favorite family friends all took off on a road trip and we spent a week in Estes Park, Colorado. It was incredibly beautiful. We had a great time. We stayed in these cabins that were just on the edge of the national park in Estes Park. Or in, yeah, there you go. Double parks, right? You know, uh, and we were there and one day we decided, hey, we're going to take off on this hike. And we went right on this hike right behind where our cabins were now. This is no 14 peak, 14er, and this is no like, you know, 36 hour hike. This was just a good morning hike. And we took off, and, and the guy that was leading our hike ended up, instead of following the trail that was switching back like this, he just decided to lead us and cause us to go straight up the mountain, all right? Now, after about 20 minutes of going straight up a mountain over rocks and over thickets and over all kinds of things that really weren't my favorite, I may or may not have asked the entire group if we could take a break. And I may or may not have at one point said, You guys need to know one thing about me. I have a whole lot of quit in me, all right? Uh, I, I just, I'm not a big hiker. I'm not a big outdoorsy guy. I'm not the dude with the chacos and the analogy, and you know who you are if that's you, right? I'm not that dude. I like AC, bass, internet, all right? If I can't get Starbucks and, and a good Wi-Fi connection, I'm not really that interested, all right? 
Uh, that's kind of me, all right? In fact, for me, Mother Nature and I have always had so many run-ins that, for the most part, I've often wondered who in the world ever described nature as a mother. They must have had one messed up childhood, all right? With a mom that stung, that beat you down, that bit you, right? I don't know what kind of childhood that guy had or that girl had, but Mother Nature doesn't seem to be mother, very motherly to me. But at least for us, we were on that hike. There were three things that really kind of kept me going on this hike, all right? After about 20 minutes, if it were just me, I probably would have quit and turned it in and went back and got a, a little bit more coffee and a little bit more breakfast. But there were three things that kind of kept me going on this hike. The first was we had a, a trailblazer. We had someone that was, in a sense, leading us out in front of us and that was setting the pace. I had someone to watch as I was trying to pursue and try to follow. The second thing that really kind of kept me moving and kept me going was that I knew what was at the end of this hike. I knew the hope that was awaiting me, a hope that I couldn't see right now, that I wasn't going to reach right now, but a hope that was certain in the future that was going to blow me away. And the third thing that kind of kept me moving on this hike and when I wanted to quit was I had a group of people that would listen to me complain, that would listen to me uh, bitter, uh, and, but yet they loved me and they listened to me and they supported me and they encouraged me all along the way. Those three things kind of helped me continue to move forward. And for you guys, maybe y'all are lovers of Mother Nature, but if I have a hunch for you guys, a lot of y'all this week, maybe you, you can't identify with my experience of Mother Nature, but a lot of you guys maybe just this week have begun to feel a pressure for the first time in school again. You guys have had a flood of syllabi. You guys have had professors and classes, classes that you knew that were going to be brutal, but you had no idea how brutal they were going to be until you got there. And you guys might even begun to think, man, how can I drop this class? Some of you guys, after a week in engineering, may think, maybe I'm looking at general studies. You know, maybe you're already trying to get out of your degree. I don't know how you guys respond to pressure. I think for whatever, for all of us, there's been some pressure that's come this week. And for many of us, I think the challenge is, even in, after one week in classes, a lot of you guys may have already begun to miss the primary call that you guys have in your life. And the primary call that you guys have in your life is to know Jesus and to make him known but in the midst of all of the responsibilities of classes, in the midst of all the opportunities with people and with organizations, some of that, even in the midst of the pressure, might have begun to drift into the background. And so as we're here this morning, I want to recenter us on that objective for our lives. And in, in particular, I want to hit you guys with what are, what's going to be required for us to maintain a focus on that objective as we walk through a semester that's going to have pressure, conflicts, and difficulties. How are we going to remain focused on that in the midst of pressure? In fact, as we open the book of Hebrews, we were there last week. If you guys will turn to Hebrews chapter 10, that's where we're going to be this morning. In fact, I kind of introduced to you guys last week uh, the theme of this great book. The theme of this book is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We kind of hit that idea in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 last week. But this morning, what I want to do for you guys is kind of unpack the situation of the book. We don't know who has written the book of Hebrews, but we do know to whom has been written. And we know a lot of the situation and the, and the challenges and the pressures that these people were under. In fact, if you begin to feel some pressure and begin to look at how to quit, or you begin to kind of miss the objective that God has called you to in your life, you're a lot like the people in the book of Hebrews. We find the book of Hebrews from the context and from a lot of what the early church has said about this book, that it was written to a, a set of people who had just come to faith in Jesus Christ. They had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they had come out of Judaism. So as you kind of walk through this entire book, this entire year, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews all fall and all spring, and I think we're going to love it. It's an incredibly rich book. But as we walk through it, we're going to see a people that the writer is writing to that are under pressure. In fact, they're under pressure because they live in Rome, and at this time in Rome, Christianity is not in a recognized religion. Judaism is, and in the midst of that kind of context, persecution is arising against these people. And they're facing the reality and the temptation to maybe deny Jesus Christ and return back to Judaism that was comfortable and that was familiar. In fact, at this point in time, they've been expelled out of Rome, and many Christians, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, at this point in time, are having their possessions taken. 
And a day is about to dawn, and it's just right around the corner that it's not just going to be their possessions that are going to be threatened, but it's going to be their very lives as well. And for the people that the book is being written to, under that kind of pressure that's imminent, that's right now, and that's around the corner, they're really facing the reality that it would have been a lot easier if they just kicked Jesus to the side. In the midst of all the other opportunities, if they could have just found something that was safer and pursued something that was easier, Jesus all of a sudden doesn't seem like the best option possible. And what we're going to see in chapter 10, verses 19 to 25 this morning, is that the writer of Hebrews, toward the end of the book here, is going to give them three basic charges. And these three charges are going to help them remain focused in the midst of pressure on Jesus Christ and endure and count the cost and remain faithful to Him, no matter the cultural pressures and no matter the circumstances that came at them. So if you will, look with me, Hebrews chapter 10. Let me set this up for us a little bit, verses 19 to 25. The writer says this, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Essentially, the writer of Hebrews is going to give his audience three basic charges that would have helped them remain faithful to the call of Jesus and to the pursuit of Jesus in their life in the midst of the pressure that they were in. In fact, these three charges are going to be a lot like the kind of the three things that kind of kept me moving on this hike. The writer of Hebrews is going to put before them a pace setter, one who had blazed a path before them. He's also going to put before them the hope that they had of what they were pushing towards. And then lastly, he's going to open their eyes to the people that were around them that were meant to cause them to continue to walk in faithfulness and to walk with endurance. That's where we're going to go. The writer of Hebrews basically starts this thing out with essentially this first charge. I think he says basically to come confidently to Jesus. Chapter 10, verses 19 to 22, basically the idea is come confidently to Jesus Christ. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. The writer of Hebrews starts off this charge and says that you and I are to come confidently to Jesus Christ. For those who would have had a Jewish background, this idea would have been a very foreign, if not a revolutionary concept. In the Jewish law and the Jewish religion, the way that they did life and the way they had approached God, it was anything but this. In fact, in Jewish code, in Jewish law, what they did was once a year, the high priest of the nation of Israel would go before God himself. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for himself and then for the people. But no one else could go in and approach God. Only this one man and at this one day could he approach. And he would approach and offer a sacrifice and that sacrifice would cleanse and allow the nation of Israel, in a sense, to be righteous in God's sight. And yet what the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, is that for this audience, that all of us can approach God. We can all draw near with confidence. But for a Jew, they would never have drawn near with confidence. They would have drawn near with all kind of hesitation and all kind of fear. And so what's changed? What's flipped this thing upside down? In a sense, you get the clue in verse 19. He says, let us enter in the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has changed everything. In the Old Testament, blood was sacrificed year after year, but it was the blood of animals and it could not forgive sin according to the book of Hebrews. And so they offered it year after year. It was a little bit like an expiration date. And so every year the high priest would have to come again and offer yet again. And yet the blood of Jesus has allowed not, not only that he doesn't have to continue to sacrifice himself, but has also allowed you and I all individually to come before God. It's a little bit like the difference between junior high dating and college dating, all right? 
Uh, in junior high and elementary school, you never dared approach someone of the opposite sex on your own, right? You always sent a mediator, amen, right? Lord willing, hopefully, we've grown from that, and in college, we go directly to the girl, right? We call her up, we don't text her, we don't Facebook her, we go verbal or we go in person, all right? And you go and you ask her out boldly, all right? What Jesus, or the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you and I are to come boldly to Jesus Christ. You and I are to come right into his presence and we can have confidence because he's done something on our behalf. Specifically, the blood of Christ we find in verse 20, it's begun a brand new and living way which God inaugurated for us. Jesus Christ began something brand new that did not exist in the Old Testament. What he's begun and what he's allowed is that you and I now all have access to God himself directly and personally. I grew up in a Baptist church and we often talked about the priesthood of all believers. And the idea is that you don't need a priest, you don't need a mediator come before God because Jesus Christ is your mediator. He is God as well. And he has taken the penalty of your sin such that you can have confidence to approach him. It wasn't just that this idea of access would have been revolutionary to them, but the idea that God would cleanse them must have been even more revolutionary. Look with me in verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Notice the the difference there. There's one element that's intangible or immaterial, and then there's one element that's material. You and I created in the image of God. We are both material and immaterial. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, through his blood, has cleansed the entirety of our lives and he's made us pure and therefore made us able to approach God. I don't know what kind of image you have of God or how you believe that you can come before God or have a relationship with God. Um, Our little girl, Caroline, is about 11 months come tomorrow, and she has started to expand her diet, all right? So she's eaten, she ate meat for the first time. It's my woman, it's my girl, you know, meat's now on the diet, all right? She's eaten fruit, she's eaten vegetables, she's eaten all kinds of stuff, and it's expanding what she can actually eat now. Unfortunately, her motor skills haven't yet caught up to the expanding diet that she has, and so she's not yet always totally figured out how to eat cleanly, okay? So she'll grab something, and then the whole fist goes into the mouth. Sometimes the food actually gets in the mouth, sometimes it doesn't. If she misses the mouth, it gets all over her face, and by the time she's done eating, there is food, blueberries that are smashed all over her face, all over her hair, and by the time we pull off the bib, there's just one clean little space right here, you know? And we're probably on the verge of needing to put a tarp out underneath her chair because it is a messy affair. But by the time that she's done eating, what she typically does is she puts her arms up and she wants to be held and she wants to be grabbed. And so for me, though, you got to understand is I'm an obsessive compulsive clean freak, all right? I'm not about to let her touch me or grab me until I got that girl clean, all right? So I come with a, a battery of paper towels that have been moistened and dried. I'm coming cleaning her off. I don't want her to get her touch me. I don't want her to infect me, so to speak, all right? Uh, for me, in a sense, before you guys judge me, my love for my child and my physical embrace of my child is conditioned upon her cleanness, all right? <laughs> She's not clean. I don't want any part of her, all right? At least not physically, okay? But once I get her clean, I got her, okay? The reality is some of us view God the exact same way. Some of us don't want to approach God because we fear that if we come with our dirt, we come with our shame, we come with our issues and our mess, we're going to mess him up as well. The reality is there's part of that image, there's part of that feeling that's appropriate. That if we've not trusted in Jesus Christ, if we've not taken the means by which he's cleansed us, then we can't approach him. But Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin and he's cleansed us so that we can come towards him. The great contrast between my parenting style and God's saving style is this, that even while we were sinful, even while we were a mess and broken, he died on our behalf and he absolutely wrapped his arms around us. Even while we were a mess and even while we were broken. And for many of us, I mean, say, as this book starts off in this challenge, I think the, the challenge for you and I is no matter where we are, I want to challenge us to come confidently to Jesus Christ. I don't care where you've been this summer. 
I don't care the decisions you've made in your past. I don't care what your past looks like. I don't care how dysfunctional your family has been. You are not outside of the love and the embrace of Jesus Christ. And what he's done on your behalf is that he's wrapped his arms around you while you were broken, while you were dirty. And if you will only trust him and allow him to embrace you and believe in the death that he died on your behalf, then you can be cleansed and you can be invited into an access and into a relationship with God. There's nothing that you and I can do to merit that kind of access. There's not enough that we can do to make him love us. There's not enough that we can do to make him approve of us. There's not enough that we can do so that we can get into his presence. Jesus Christ has done all that on our behalf and he's our only access in. He's our only party invite in. And if we've trusted and received his invitation that came free of charge to you and I because we don't have to do anything, then we can have a great confidence. We don't have to come with hesitation no matter where we've been. And for some of y'all, you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you begin this semester, let me say that's the starting point for you guys. The starting point for you guys is to consider who is Jesus Christ and what has he done and what does it matter to my life? For some of you all, you've already made that decision. You've already entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the question becomes, will you continue? Will you continue to allow it to be the priority in your life, the beginning and the ending spot? Or will you continue to be pulled off by other distractions and other priorities? And for us, no matter where we've been, let me continue to say, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, the great revolutionary thing isn't just that he gave us access to the Father. It's not just that he cleansed us, but what's even more revolutionary is that he cleansed us from all that we've done in the past, the present, and even the future. That if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, what he dealt with and what he did away with, it was not just what you've done, it wasn't just with your past. But he dealt with what you were doing even in the present, and he's dealt with even what you're going to do in the future. He's dealt with all of that, and he's wiped it away, and he's forgiven it, and he's separated it as far as the east is from the west. And so if you've come initially to Jesus Christ, we don't have to be hesitant to come again, because he's already dealt with our sin, and he's already invited us into his presence. And all we have to do is come confidently and confess where we've been, and he'll forgive us, and he'll wrap his arms around us. There's nothing you can do to merit that, and he's done it all on our behalf. And yet, for the writer of the book of Hebrews, what he's going to say here in chapter 12 is essentially this. That as you and I run this race this semester, as you and I pursue Jesus Christ, it is critical that we keep our eyes on him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. What Christ has done on our behalf, he's finished. He's done. He's set down. His work is done, and what it's accomplished is the forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, so that you and I can have access, a path to God, and a purity before God. And yet, for you and I, as we walk through this semester in the midst of the pressures that are going to come, unless you and I keep our eyes on Jesus, unless you and I keep focus upon him and where he's headed, you and I are going to miss the boat, and we're going to miss the primary call in our life. Uh, for my father and I, some of my greatest memories with my dad were always relating to sports. He spent a ton of time with me baseball-wise. I'd go pitch to him in the side yard, and his knees would take a battering. So I'd throw a lot of balls in the dirt. They'd bounce up, and he'd just sacrifice his body for me. The greatest moment of sacrifice for him, though, came in a time that he took his eyes off of the task, though. We were at a batting cage one time, and he was giving me some instruction. And at one point, he kind of stopped me, and he came into the cage trying to show me a few things. But he lost track of where he was, and he lost track of what he was supposed to be paying attention to, and he never left the cage. And the next pitch that came in, I fouled right off straight into his chest, and he just dropped to the ground, all right? And he felt like he was about to have a heart attack, all right? I will tell you guys, he tried it the best he could to make sure that, he, that it wasn't like he was crushed and he wanted to make sure I had all confidence in him. He didn't want to make me feel bad. But our day ended quickly that day, all right? He took his eyes off the task and we were done. And the result is, if you and I take our eyes off Jesus Christ, we won't last this semester. 
if you and I take our eyes off of the prize of the pace that are before us, we'll never finish the hike this semester. The book of Hebrews will constantly say over and over again that you and I, in a sense, are in a race. Not a sprint, but a marathon. It's a long race. I'm a little older than you guys, and I'll tell you, even personally, even this semester as it's begun, these last few weeks, I've been thinking to myself, man, I'm tired. I'm tired even as this semester has begun, and I've been in this same role for a while, and I've begun to think, I've begun to wonder, will I last? Will I be faithful for a lifetime? I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and, and yet in the midst of that, I've been reminded even this morning, even this week prepping this, that ultimately what keeps me going uh, is not a love for you guys, though that is huge, and that's a, part of, a huge part of what drives me, but ultimately what drives me is to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the author, he is the perfecter of life, he is the pace setter that is before us. And the writer of Hebrews will go on next and he'll say, it's not just that you and I come confidently, but we trust Christ completely. Not just that we come confidently to Jesus Christ, but we trust Christ completely. If you and I keep our eyes on Jesus, if we're fixed on Jesus, we'll continue to follow after him. I've heard it said before, that, and I kind of would put this to you guys in my own words, this idea that, that our intimacy with Jesus leads to our dependency on Jesus. And our dependency on Jesus leads to our trajectory in life. If you come and you keep your eyes on Jesus and you know Jesus, you will trust him even more. The more you trust him, the more, the more you know him, the more you trust him, the more you trust him, the more you will follow him. And that as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as you pursue after him, as you walk that thing out, no matter what comes this semester in your life, you're going to be focused on him. And what will keep your focus and what will keep you moving is not what's happening around you, but where you see Jesus Christ moving. Even more so, it's not just that you keep your eyes on him, uh, but ultimately you have a, a sense of where you're headed. Look with me, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Ultimately, the writer says this, that you and I are to trust Jesus Christ completely, but what he's calling us to hold is not a confession of a bunch of doctrine. It's not that you and I would be orthodox. It's not that you and I would have every understanding of every system of theology and every book of the Bible. But ultimately, what the writer of Hebrews is calling you and I to, so that we could press and endure, is that we would maintain our confession of our hope. Well, what is our hope? What is hope? Hope is one of those words in English that I think we use a whole bunch of different ways, and I think we miss the boat. Hope is not some wish. It's not some well-wishing. It's not some uh, meager idea of what could happen. But hope, as it's used in the scriptures, is a confident expectation in the future. In fact, I think this morning, Blake, in main service, is speaking on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, which is an exposition of hope. What is biblical hope? It's so far different than what you and I often think of. Our hope is our trajectory. It's where we are moving, and it's where Jesus Christ is moving human history. We know the past. We know Jesus Christ has already died and he's already resurrected and he's already proclaimed that you and I are righteous. We know the present that right now Jesus Christ is restoring and recreating and transforming our lives, restoring us back into that which he had created us to be from the very beginning. You realize that Jesus Christ's desire for your life isn't just to get you saved. It isn't just to get you out of your sins and out of a guilt sentence, but it's ultimately to begin to reform and retransform and recreate you so that your life again begins to mirror the image of what he, and the pattern of what he had originally created for you. And it's not just that you would be a spitting image of him, but ultimately that in that transformation that you would find a joy and a satisfaction. But it's not just all about the present. But ultimately where our hope is moving is toward a climax of human history when Jesus Christ will bring all nations back underneath him. And every man, woman, and child will, will bend a knee and proclaim with a tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will reign over all of the earth and he'll recreate the earth. He's going to recreate everything. He's going to bring about a kingdom that's going to be established through human representation. He's inviting us into a future of what's coming. Ultimately, I didn't tell you guys from the top, but I didn't continue on in my hike. <laughs> I made it about uh, probably about 20 minutes from the peak, and I just stopped, all right? I stopped because, to be perfectly honest, I kind of got to a place where I knew it was up there, but I was like, ah, 
I'm tired, I'm hungry, and it really doesn't seem to be that valuable. <laughs> so I stopped, stopped short. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you guys, I didn't regret it one bit whatsoever, all right? <laughs> I just sat there and I ate my granola bar and talked with my wife who supported me and stayed behind with me because she loved me and, and she's the marathon runner, I'm not, so there we are. Um, but I stopped short, why? It wasn't because I wasn't confident of what was at the top, but I didn't think it was that valuable. And what I want to ask you guys this morning is to where Jesus Christ is moving human history and what he's invited you to, which is a partnership in his kingdom to come. Do you think that that's that valuable? Or do you think that what's most valuable is something that you can find and obtain in this world today? If I were to ask you, what is your hope this semester? How would you answer that? What is it that's driving your passion? What is it that's your hope and your expectation and what you want to see fulfilled this semester? Uh, for some of us, it may be a grade. For some of us, it may be a girl. For some of us, Lord willing, maybe finally we'll graduate. I don't know where you guys are, um, where you've been. Typically at Southwood, we have a lot more of uh, the upperclassmen, so to speak. And so I don't know what you guys are hoping for this semester. Ultimately, if you're going to hope for something and be pushing toward a, a mountain that you can climb, that you're going to reach, that's going to have a seen objective, an objective that is in this lifetime, ultimately you're going to find something that will not satisfy you. If you're looking and hiking towards something that you can see in this lifetime and find and achieve in this lifetime, I will promise you, sometimes you may find it at the top of that mountain that one, you're lonely, and two, you're not satisfied. Ultimately, what God has made us and created us for and what he's drawn us and invited us toward is toward a pursuit of a kingdom that will last for all of eternity. And you and I have an opportunity this semester not just to know Jesus Christ, but to make him known and to advance his kingdom that he's invited us to be a part of and to contribute to its advancing. And so my challenge for you guys this semester is what are you hoping for? What's pushing you towards uh, the future? What are you looking forward to? And ultimately, what are you investing your life in this semester? What's your hope? What's driving you? The third thing we're going to see, though, is that ultimately we've been called not just to come to Christ confidently, to trust Him completely, but to live communally. Uh, If you and I are ever going to be a part of something that's a a huge hope, that's a God-sized hope, that's something that we'll never see, ultimately we'll never achieve it and we'll never fulfill it in and of ourselves. We have a desperate need in a community to press towards each other. I made it a lot farther on that hike because I had a community of people around me. If it was just me, I would have probably turned back after about 15 minutes and thought, not worth it, all right? Uh, They didn't get me all the way to the top. It wasn't their fault, all right? Uh, But ultimately for you and I, as we walk with Jesus Christ, the community that surrounds us is a huge part of how we get there. In fact, that's why he says in verse 24, look, he says, Let us consider how to simulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice, uh, our pursuit of Christ and our fulfillment of the hope that's to come is a team project. It's never a solo affair. I hated team projects in college, all right? I absolutely hate it. I'm an only child. I love to work by myself, all right? And you and I live in a culture that can customize and individualize everything for us. I just got a new phone on Friday. Unfortunately, it wasn't an iPhone, um, but I'm still happy, all right? But it's got all these customizable things on it, all right? I got like five different screens. I can set them up, all the preferences I have, all the things I want. You can go nowadays on, on Dell or on uh, Mac's website and order a laptop that's especially suited for you, right? You can go to Burger King where you can eat and have it your way, right? You know, everything in our life, everything in our society is customizable for the individual. We want to always appeal to your preference and to exactly what you want and to your own prerogative. The reality, though, of the spiritual life is it is nothing like that. <laughs> the reality of the spiritual life is it's not all about your preference and not all about your prerogative. In fact, I think God is going to call some of you guys into relationships with people this semester. They're going to stretch you and break you because it's not going to be your prerogative. It's not going to be your preference. It's not going to be what you want. 
In fact, if you'll notice in verses 24 and 25, he says, not just to look out for yourself, but consider how you can provoke someone else to love and good deeds. What God calls you and I into in the body of Christ is a team project in which we're looking out for one another. And one of my favorite verses is, is earlier in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is your responsibility to stay out of sin? Yes. Is that all of your responsibility as the people of God? No. Your call, your charge is to walk with Jesus Christ and then look out toward the community that is around you and continue to invite and continue to pull them along. Whether it's hiking or whether it's working out, I don't do well on my own. I desperately need the community of the people of God that come along beside me and continue to challenge me and continue to point me to Jesus Christ and continue to point me toward the hope that's to come. And that's our hope for you guys. And ultimately what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of end is give you guys a couple opportunities. Uh, one, this is kind of the charge I give every semester on the second Sunday. This is our Howdy Party Sunday. In a minute here, we're going to give you guys an opportunity to uh, take off a little early. Uh, not that you guys can get to a lunch place earlier, but what we want to do is we have tables all in the back in the room that's on the other side of the glass walls so that you can find out about all the different small group opportunities that are here at our church. And not just the small group opportunities and places that you can grow, but also all the opportunities and the ministries that are here in our church, from youth to children's, that will give you guys an opportunity to serve. And so the first thing I want to challenge you guys to is that you guys are considered to join a small group. Uh, on your table, or on your chair, sorry, there's a blue sheet of paper that has all of, it's a sign-up form, and it explains and gives you guys the preferences and the options of all of our small groups. Uh, if you guys are a freshman, let me encourage you guys, we have a freshman-based ministry called Doulos. It's a, it's, a, it's a freshman study. It's freshman small groups. It'll be a great chance to meet the people of God that are freshmen like yourself this semester. It starts this Wednesday night, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the Reed Building, Reed 274. That's right behind Kyle Field, all right? Not Reed Arena, uh, but Reed that's right behind and in the basement of Kyle Field, all right? Uh, it'll be great. If, you're, if you guys are a freshman, there's a table in the back that's a great chance for you guys to ask questions and a great spot for you guys to sign up. If you're an upperclassman, we have two different studies and two different opportunities for small groups for you guys. The first is that a study called Essentials. It's basically the, the basics of the Christian faith. If you're new to the Christian faith or if you're just feeling this thing out, or if you really want to be challenged and really root down the basics, the, the foundational beliefs of the Christian faith, it's a great study. Also, we have a study uh, on the book of Colossians this semester. It's going to be our main study. And so those are two different studies that you guys can jump into based on kind of your interests and where you are at spiritually. Um, and also, there's also a few other opportunities you guys will notice on your form. Uh, if you want to not just study the Word of God, but you want to get involved and serve in our college ministry, we have something called Servant Team. Uh, Servant Team is a great spot to not just study the Word of God, but also to get involved and to serve in this ministry and in this church. Um, they have teams from Prairie Team to Fellowship Team to International Student Outreach. There's all kinds of different teams based on your interest. And those will be spots where you can study the Word of God, but you can also get involved and serve in our college ministry. Uh, another spot where you can study but also serve uh, is a, a ministry called Youth Impact. Youth Impact is a dynamite ministry that's reaching out to the inner city youth of Bryan and College Station. And so if you want to not just be in the Word, but if you want to begin and move out in our community, that's a great spot to get involved. Uh, in addition to those, there's also some things outside of college ministry from children's to youth to worship ministries. If you have an interest or passion and you want to find a way to get involved and serve, those are the spots for you. Uh, let me challenge you towards a couple things. One, find a small group. Find a spot in the body of Christ that you're going to find a group of people that you're going to walk with Jesus Christ with. But don't stay there. Move out from there as well and find a spot in the campus or in the world where you can make an impact. Uh, one of the favorite quotes I ran across this uh, summer, and you guys may have heard this, is this. Believers are a lot like manure. <laughs> 
When we spread out, we help others grow. When we only stick together, we stink, all right? And so let me challenge you guys as you look at your semester, all right? And as you look at where you're going to put yourself and where you're going to invest your life, join a small group within the body of Christ. Maybe that's on campus with a Christian group, and maybe that's here at our church, but then don't stop there. Find a spot in your community or on the campus that you can get involved with people who don't know Jesus Christ, all right? Be in the world, but be not of the world. Find a community of the, of, of the believers of the body of Christ, but also find a place on campus or in the community or in the city that you can serve and make an impact and be salt and light for the body of Christ as you impact a world that's watching on. Some of you guys may have heard this, but our mission, our vision as a church is this, to raise up next generation leaders to reach our world for Christ. Ultimately, it has two halves. One is equipping and the second is sending. Ultimately, as you guys are here, our goal, our vision, our, our desire, and our hope is to equip you guys, to train you guys, not just that you guys would be consumers, but that you guys would move out as leaders and have an impact and have influence in whatever sphere the Lord has brought you to. And then as you take that sphere of influence and as you take that ability to lead, you take it into the world and you have an impact on the world. It's two prongs. One is you're here that we would equip you. And then two, you guys all in two, three, four, six, seven years will one day leave us, right? Um, but whether you guys leave us or at some point are here, we want you guys not just to be here and be immersed in a Christian bubble. We don't want you guys to spend your entire time here in the walls of the church. We want you guys to spend some time here to be equipped, to be challenged, to be reminded of truth, but then to move out in the campus and the community to make an impact. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break you guys and let you guys have uh, the rest of the morning and however much time you want. You can sign up. You can ask questions. There's all different booths and all different tables back there. So let me pray for us. Father God, we give you great thanks. Uh, You've given us such a privilege, uh, such an opportunity, such a responsibility as we have a relationship with you. That you've revealed to us who you are. You've revealed to us how you've designed life and how you've called us to live it. Father, I pray that you would give us influence, that you would give us wisdom, even this morning as we make some decisions of where you'd have us this semester. So we continue to look through open houses and we continue to look through the different organizations that are out there and the different things we can get involved in. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to not be uh, overmatched and and over-involved, but that you'd give us uh, wisdom to make uh, a couple choices, a couple spots that we can maximize for your glory and for your kingdom. Uh, Father, I pray that for those of us who who drift toward the world, I pray that you'd help us to get rooted in the body of Christ. And for those of us who hide out sometimes in the body of Christ, I pray that you'd give us courage to be salt and light for you. And Lord, I pray that you give us this time, even as we're in tables, that you give us some great discussion, some great time as a community, a great time as a church, Lord. We ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen.